This is a CBC Podcast. The one question that Kale had at the last appointment was, was the delay going to make the surgery more dangerous? That's Chris Perry back in 2022, talking about his son, Kale. At that time, Kale was anxiously awaiting spinal surgery. I think he said it was past the point of no return, that it can't get any more dangerous. Today, CBC Marketplace co-host Travis Danraj will take you inside our investigation into long wait times for elective surgeries. We're going to uncover the lengths some people are going to to get the treatment they need. I just keep thinking about how much easier all of this would be if I could have had this care at home. We'll look at how wait times are causing undue pain and suffering. And ask if alternative funding models could be the answer. We think it's a violation of the rights of an individual when a government promises health care, fails to deliver it in a timely manner. I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. You're listening to CBC Marketplace. Hey, Travis. Asha, David, hey there. Really good to have you here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You know, you're about to give us all the info about an investigation CBC Marketplace did back in spring and summer of 2022, and it was into surgical wait times in Canada. Right. So we wanted to know why some Canadians weren't getting the surgery that they needed. And what we discovered was a crisis of access to care right across this country. And we're going to go through some of the biggest problems that you identified, uh, their consequences, and potential solutions. But let's start off with the story of Kale Perry, because it is a an example of a shocking failure of Canada's healthcare system. It absolutely is. You know, I first met Kale in May 2022. He was just 16 years old, and he was living with his parents, Chris and Charlene in the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia. Charlene, how are you? Good, come on in. So at this point, Kale already needed surgery urgently. He has a condition known as scoliosis. And what that means for Kale is that his spine grew sideways instead of vertically. Kale said that he didn't like showing people his back. He was embarrassed. But with his parents nearby, he was brave enough to show us. Kale, do you want to show them your back? Poor ribs. Turn around. So this is all new since the last time we saw him. And you can see how much curve there is. I mean, you can't even see his vertebrae anymore. Is it painful? Like, it looks painful. It's mo- usually just uncomfortable, but there's times where it just get, becomes painful for no apparent reason. Why do you want people across the country to see, see this? When general practitioner found about it, it was just a bump in my back or something, and now it looks like, you know, this. Could have been done sooner, and it should have been. You were there at that very moment to see exactly what his back looked like. Can you describe it for us? Yeah, you know, when we visited Kale Asha, his back was at 93 degrees. 90, most people can picture what 90 degrees looks like. Uh, That's a right angle. But seeing it in person, the 
shape of Kale's spine. It was curved. It was kind of C-shaped. looked like a snake, really. So that was Kale's back, according to an x-ray taken in April 2022. But to see it in person, guys, it was... It was shocking. And he didn't just wake up one day in this condition. Getting to that point was a process, a a gradual process. It it, it was. And, you know, that x-ray was shocking to see. But you're right, David. It was a gradual process. This all started in November 2020. That's when his mom, Charlene, first noticed something was wrong. I was cutting his hair after the start of school. And so he had his shirt off. And when he got up to go look at his hair, I could see his back was all weird and I'm like, why are you standing like that? Like, why are you pushing your shoulder blade out? And he's like, I'm not. So at that point, the curve in his back was at 58 degrees. That's already considered severe scoliosis. And it's important to note here that severe scoliosis is serious. You know, a severe spinal curve, that can reduce the amount of space that a person has in their chest, which makes it harder for the lungs to function properly, essentially harder for you to breathe. So that's the situation, but it takes more than six months, six months to get in to see a specialist. And by then, Kiel's curve was at 80 degrees. Surgery was the only option, but for that, they needed a different doctor. Five months passed before they saw that specialist. And that was the point when they see treatment was urgent. When you hear urgent, you think it should be prioritized. Right. But what happened instead? Well, you know, as I said, scoliosis can be disabling, but it's not considered immediately life-threatening. And Kale's surgery is still considered elective. More time passes, and that is how Kale's spine ended up with a 93-degree curve. So Kale's condition just keeps getting worse. What impact did that have on the potential outcome for his surgery? You know, this was one of Kale's big worries, that the longer that they waited to get the surgery, the worse his condition got. And so he thought a lot about what that was going to mean for his surgery. The one question that Kale had at the last appointment was, was the delay going to make the surgery more dangerous? I think he said it was past the point of no return, that it can't get any more dangerous, at least for the surgery. It's already dangerous enough. You know, Kale was not experiencing this alone. It had a huge impact on his family. And I could really see in his parents' face, his mother's face in particularly, that she was visibly upset when we talked. I see you looking at your son there and tearing up. Yeah. Tell me like, what you're thinking I right now. I just hate that he's had to go through this. Yeah. And, you know, if he'd had his surgery earlier, it would never have gotten to this situation. He would never be this severe. We're just being told there's nothing you can do, just wait. There's nothing you can do, just wait. How can you tell a parent there's nothing they can do to fix the health of their child? Now, we know that Kale's story is not entirely unique. Uh, Travis, you and the CBC Marketplace team started investigating just how many people are waiting on surgery across this country. Right, Asha. So, you know, when we first reported this story in October of 2022, 
it was a serious problem. A cross-country checkup in the summer of that year revealed long lines for so-called elective surgery. Okay, you call it, what what is elective surgery? Right. You know, a big piece of this story here. You know, generally, if it's not considered urgent, it could be considered elective. Like some of the most common surgeries that people are waiting for. Hips, knees, cataracts. I know because of my mom, those are pretty important surgeries for a person's quality of life. Well, exactly, Asha. And, you know, when CBC Marketplace analyzed a decade of data from the Canadian Institute for Health Information, we found that in the 10 years leading up to the COVID-19 pandemic, the waits were getting longer. In 2019, nearly 30% of Canadians didn't receive joint replacement or cataract surgery within medically acceptable timeframes. Now, let's talk about solutions. Um, There are some people who think that more privatization is the key here to fixing those long wait times we've been talking about. Travis, you're going to introduce us to Dr. Brian Day and what he's been fighting for. Right. So Dr. Brian Day, he is a leading orthopedic surgeon who runs a private hospital out of Vancouver. You know, he has been trying to change the way Canadians access their health care for years. We think it's a violation of the rights of an individual when a government promises health care, fails to deliver it in a timely manner or at all, and at the same time makes it unlawful for you to take your own life and your own health into your own hands. When we spoke to Dr. Day in July 2022, he said all Canadians should be allowed to get private health insurance and buy medical care. Right now, that is outlawed for most Canadians. But we can use private insurance to pay for things out of pocket like dentists, physiotherapy, and prescription drugs. And you know, what's interesting about this is Dr. Day even went so far as to bring this issue to the courts. He did. You know, Dr. Day called these restrictions unconstitutional. He's been arguing for over a decade that Canada's healthcare system condones pain and suffering. And he says that patients who are forced to wait in long lines for surgery should have more options to pay for faster care. Okay, Travis, so where is he with that court fight? Right. So in July 2022, he lost a court battle challenging British Columbia's limits on private health care. And in April of this year, the Supreme Court of Canada refused to hear his appeal. So he clearly feels strongly on this issue. And Travis, you spoke with Dr. Day about Kale's case. What did he have to say? Well, we did talk to Dr. Day about Kale's case specifically, and we showed him pictures of Kale's x-rays in July 2022. Dr. Day said it was cases like Kale's that should motivate change. It's awful. It's tragic. And when you have a deformity like this that's progressive, it's just unacceptable. This kind of picture has to be shown to the politicians and shown to the judiciary and say, are you condoning this? But Kale's family had tried that already. They'd been going to local politicians asking for help. Yes, and in May 2022, the B.C. health minister, Adrian Dix, well, he got grilled by the opposition party on Kale's case. I know the case, the actual decisions around the timing of things uh, get made as they should do uh, by doctors. 
But the doctors were telling Kale's family they have no operating time. This must have been a lot to deal with for Kale. How was he coping with all of it? You know, we checked in with him in July 2022. That's a couple months after our first visit. And Kale's surgery had been delayed again, this time until September 2022. That's nearly two years of waiting for treatment. Kale, let me show you where we are, man. This is the BC Children's Hospital. This is where you're supposed to be having your operation. How does it feel to be there right now and not inside that building? Well, it's... It's very annoying. It, the, the summer is almost over. And, you know, that's my great top year starting next year. So I'm going to have to push a lot of stuff aside to recover from it. Because, you know, it's just been pushed back again and again. Yeah, you really, this is a lot for a young person to deal with. Yep. Um, at age 16, two years is a lifetime. You know, he's putting his entire life on hold, and the family is told that it was because of staff shortages and a lack of operating time. Now, meanwhile, the curve in Kale's back reached 108 degrees. Travis, in doing this story, did you get a general sense of what many Canadians want from the healthcare system? You know, Asha, based on our research, we found that people really want three things. They want it to be good quality care, they don't want to have to wait too long for it, and they also want it to be affordable. But right now, they can't seem to get all three of those because resources are stretched really thin. So we went to Toronto's Centre Island, and we asked people what they'd want out of their healthcare system if they were only allowed to choose two of the three things. Good, fast, or cheap. So if you could only have two choices, which two would you pick? Good, fast, or cheap? For me, fast and cheap. Fast and cheap? For you? Good and fast. Good, fast, cheap. Pick two. I would choose fast and cheap. You choose fast and cheap? I would choose good and fast. You know, the thing is, if something is done well and done quickly, it likely won't be cheap. But if it's done well and is cheap... Wait times will likely be long, which is what we have now. Okay, earlier you were talking about Dr. Brian Day's fight for more privatization in healthcare. It is a contentious issue in Canada. What do the people you were speaking with have to say about that specifically? So, David, since the pandemic started, private healthcare options are being debated more. You know, on Centre Island, opinion. It's split when it comes to helping a loved one. Every movement that he made with his hip, which is like every time you walk, was in excruciating pain. So if you could have paid for your dad to have faster surgery and relieve his pain or keep waiting and getting free care, which one would you choose? Keep waiting and getting free. I don't believe really? in the private system, no. Well, okay, so... so I believe in the public system 100%. Even though your dad had to wait for so yes. long. Yes. What if he was sick, though, and he needed <laughs> care and you could pay to get that care faster? Wouldn't you want to pay for him to get care faster? Definitely. That's not the system we have. Let's take a moment to talk about what we heard from an expert who had a different position than Dr. Day. Very different. Uh, You know, we spoke with health policy expert Colleen Flood in October 2022. She's been studying the world's healthcare systems for decades, and she says that there's no place for private money. Whenever you see public and private mix of funding, What you see are high prices and 
people not covered. So this is just inefficient and unjust. Yeah, I understand it. Like if, if it was someone in my family, I too would be wanting to do anything I could to get around the problems that there are there. But for all of us, we need to actually have a solution that fixes the system for all of us and not just some of us. You know, there's an interesting update here to mention before we move on. In May 2023, May of this year, Ontario became the latest province to allow more surgeries to be performed in private clinics at public expense. The provincial government says it will shorten wait times for non-urgent care. Okay, I want to go back to Professor Flood for a moment. If she doesn't agree with Dr. Day, what's her solution then to long wait times? So Colleen Flood said it's not about how we pay for our health care, but how we deliver it. Why do we have wait times? Well, some folks will say it's because we don't have enough money or we don't have enough resources. I think it's because we don't actually manage what we have very well. She said a good place to start is by changing wait lists. Have one line instead of many. You've been to your doctor at some point, you talk to them about your problem and they say, okay, I know a good specialist. My doctor's secretary, assistant calls theirs. Maybe they respond. And then they may tell you, yes, now you have an appointment in 18 months or something. Whereas what my doctor doesn't know is that, you know, just down the road, somebody's had a cancellation. And so I could have taken that cancelled spot, but no one knows about it. So Flood suggested better sharing of wait time information right across the board and also better ways to assess who needs help first will help overall. She also suggested the idea of healthcare guarantees. Now, that is something that's popular in other countries like the UK, like in Finland. These countries have built-in consequences and, and really ramifications for healthcare providers that don't meet target wait times. Okay. That, I mean, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It sounds pretty straightforward. So why aren't we doing this already? Well, you know, that is a good question. And I was curious too. Colleen Flood said that it is just the status quo and what people are used to. I guess I'm just like scratching my head. Why don't we have that system? Exactly. Why don't we have that system? And what's the answer? The status quo, people are comfortable with it. Is there not political will in your opinion? It's political will, but I think what happens is that there's a lot of diffusion of accountability. So, you know, the doctors say it's the government's fault. The governments argue between themselves. You know, whose fault is it? And as Canadians, I guess we're perhaps not really that sure. There are people who feel like they just can't wait for elective surgery. And the team connected with someone who went to some pretty extreme lengths to get what they needed. We heard from Christina Smith, uh, a young woman from Halifax, and she has a condition known as endometriosis, which basically means that the tissue that's similar to the lining of her uterus is now growing in other places. kind of just feels like someone's got their hands inside your abdomen and they're just kind of yanking on organs and pulling and stretching on nerves. And yeah, it's not very fun. So Christina traveled all the way to Romania in August 2022 for an operation to deal with her pain. We're on currently hour 19. This is our last layover until our final flight to Bucharest. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty crappy, pretty tired, 
pretty sore. So Christina wanted to get this surgery done as quickly as possible, uh, not only because of the pain, but she said that if she waits too long to get the surgery, it could impact her ability to become a mom, to become pregnant. It destroys your fertility the longer you wait. Yeah. So I, you don't have time to just sit around and hope that you'll get a call. And it really is, you know, the case of time is of the essence. And it sounds like Christina felt like she had no choice. She absolutely felt that way, Asha. Uh, you know, her family and her fiancé paid $22,000 to get Christina treatment overseas. And in the end, she was relieved to have the surgery, but said that she felt bad for those who can't afford to pay privately to end their pain, to end their suffering. Christina said that it wasn't fair, and she also mentioned how difficult it was to get surgery abroad. I just keep thinking about how much easier all of this would be if I could have had this care at home. Travis, while you were reporting on Canada's healthcare system, you ended up having to use Canada's healthcare system. Oh, I sure did. Uh, you know, while so many wait for surgery, I learned that when things become life-threatening, at least in my case, I could count on emergency care. That's because I got COVID in May 2022, and uh, there were complications, a lot of complications because of my asthma. I was hospitalized. I had pneumonia. I had COVID. And I can remember it pretty clearly. They want me completely off oxygen before they let me out of the hospital. And I'm almost there. I thought, you know, being triple vaxxed, I was safe. This wasn't going to affect me. And I ended up in the hospital. I ended up on seven liters of oxygen and, like, fighting for my life for several days. You know, this really isn't about poor me. It's It shows one example of the Canadian healthcare system at its best. Uh, I really feel like my life was saved because I got the care that I needed urgently, right away. So many people were worried about you, Travis. Uh, I remember talking to you at that time. How are you feeling now? I am feeling much better. Thanks, guys. I'm very glad to hear that. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to BC and young Kale Perry's story. How did the provincial government respond when pushed about his extended wait for surgery? Well, we went to the BC legislature in October 2022 to ask about Kale's long wait. And we wanted to talk to the BC health minister, Adrian Dix. I asked him how someone like Kale was made to wait so long. How is this possible in this province that this teenager was not able to get the surgery that he needed urgently sooner? Anyone who needs surgery, I mean, anyone who needs surgery wants to get it right away, right? And we've gone through a pretty challenging period in BC where we dramatically increased the number of surgeries. But for the families, I understand their frustration. Okay, he says he understands their frustration, but what about the Perry family itself? Well, we asked him about that too. You are the minister in charge of health in this province. What do you say to this family? I think, I think our job as minister of health is to make sure there are more surgeons and more nurses and medical device technologists and that the decisions about healthcare get made as they should by healthcare professionals. But I absolutely understand the frustration that people feel when they're waiting for care.
circling back here, Travis, where did this leave Kale and his serious back problem? So I am very happy to report that Kale did finally receive his surgery around the end of September 2022. Fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it it is a huge relief for this young man, for his family. The post-op x-ray, well, it confirmed success. His spine is now permanently fused. It's straight as an arrow. And we went back for a visit, actually, in October 2022. You know, since the last time we saw him, Kale had turned 17 and had grown a lot in very little time. Wow, it is so good to see you. You look a little bit taller, my friend. (laughs) I think four point four and a quarter inches. Jeez. He was shorter than me. Mm. He's not now. It's a bit emotional. Like, I'm seeing, uh, you know, you guys hold hands. This has been a family ordeal, has it not? It has been. Uh, partially of uh, the holding hands, uh, you know, keep them stable. Keep them falling over. <laughs> yeah. We reached out for an update, and Kale's doctors are pleased with his progress. He's now been cleared for all activities, including, get this, guys, contact sports oh, if wow. he wants. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are some minor limitations on his movement, but he says that he rarely notices that. And there's no pain or discomfort at all. He can be a teen again. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. What about his family? They must be overjoyed. Well, it's a huge relief for them as well. You know, they were relieved that Kale finally had his surgery, but they still had some strong feelings about how long they had to wait and how much worse Kale's condition was allowed to get. Here was their message to the BC health minister. Everyone can say that they have sympathy and they feel bad and they understand how hard it is, but if you do nothing, then that's crap. He said, well, he's going to leave it in the hands of the doctors. And the doctors didn't have the power to fix anything. It wasn't just the wait times, it was the personnel, it was was getting the surgery time, all of that stuff put together. It wasn't just in the hands of the doctors. What do you think about some of the folks that are still waiting for surgery? Wish them luck. Hopefully you'll get quicker. All right, Travis Danraj, thanks for bringing us this story. Guys, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's all for today. This investigation was produced by Greg Sadler and Caitlin Taylor. Our sound design was by Sam McNulty. Special thanks to Will Yar for technical work. The podcast was produced by Shiloh Fagan. The senior producer is Shannon Hagan. And our executive producer is Nalisha Volani. I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. Thanks very much for listening to CBC Marketplace. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.